With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good afternoon. You're listening to Gambling with an Edge. Now here are your hosts, Bob Dancer and Richard Munchkin. Good afternoon. Welcome to Gambling with an Edge. I'm Bob Dancer. And I'm Richard Munchkin. Our guest today is poker player Chance Corneth. Chance, welcome to Gambling with an Edge. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Chance is like the perfect name for a gambler, I have to say. Thank you. Is it, uh, was it your name your mother gave you, or was it... Um, you helped it along the way somehow. No, no, no. It was the birth certificate, given name, and uh, just happened to stumble into something where it was fitting. Huh. All right. Very good. All right. So I had not heard of you before we started preparing for the show, and yet you have more than $10 million in uh, tournament winnings, uh, which is a testament to how much you've entered and also how good you are, and you're including a half million one earlier uh, just a few weeks ago. So how is it that you're staying under the radar, but then you've had so much success? Um, I don't know. Um, I guess like, you know, I've played a bunch. I had a hell of a year last year and won like a 2000 person field and like a couple of other like really large field tournaments and was ranked uh, first in the U.S. and second overall for 2021. So I've had. So you're not exactly under yeah, the radar. I'm not the, I'm not the most under the radar. <laughs> All right. You are representing a charity, which is one of the reasons you're on our show. So a charity event. Tell us about that. So the charity event is for Startup Las Vegas, and uh, I'm in charge of you know bringing some of the big name pros to the charity poker tournament that they're having at the event. And you know people like Ryan Reese who won the main event, and Chris Mormon, his wife Katie Lindsay, and just a variety of other variety of other Vegas poker pros that are super fun to be around, and you know love charities in general. So it should be a really good group. So this is going to be a VC fund. Uh, I'm not sure. Oh. oh. <laughs> and when I mean, is this going to be? It sounds like it. when it and where? Like it, yeah. right? When and where is it going to be? Um, it's going to be in October. And uh, the exact date hasn't been set yet, and it's going to be at one of the hangars, um, kind of by the airport. It has like a beautiful classic car uh, collection, and should be a beautiful venue for it. That sounds like the where VideoPoker.com headquarters are. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> huh. So is so uh, is this open to the public as well, or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can buy a ticket to the event itself without the tournament. You can buy a ticket to the tournament and the event. And yeah, it's definitely open to the public. So 
uh, is it just like can you actually win money then, or or do, I mean, how does that work? Or so, just a portion of the buy-ins go to the? I believe the prizes are donated, and the money raised in the tournament goes to the foundation. And uh, the prizes, from what I've heard, are going to be like pretty cool, like an entire box at a Knights game, ten tickets to the Raiders on the fifty-yard line. I think one of the guys donated a like continental U.S. private jet round trip. Jesus. Um, so, yeah, it seems like there's going to be some pretty cool prizes. All right. What is Chip Leader Coaching? Um, Chip Leader Coaching is my poker coaching company. Um, we specialize in multi-table tournaments, which, uh, you know, have a lot of correlations to cash games, um, but it definitely is our focus. And uh, we first started as a coaching for profit, so we'd take people under our wing, per se, and get a percentage of their caches. And... Uh, you know, we my first student was Alex Foxen, who's currently ranked in the top five in the world um, for tournaments. And, you know, he's kind of one of the definitions of student has become the master. Um, he's made a couple of the products with me, uh, one of which being Chip Leader AI, which is an artificial intelligence platform. Uh, we partnered with uh, Socrates, um, which is an AI company. And we spent, you know, about a quarter million and over two and a half years in development. And... Uh, you know, it's a subscription-based uh, service for only fifty-nine a month, and like based on the questions you get right and wrong, the AI engine learns about your strengths and weaknesses. And if you're good at something, it will feed you more of the advanced questions. But if you struggle at a different topic, it you know keeps you towards like the base of a tree instead of you know accelerating you into the leaves and the areas that you excel at. Huh. So how how did you get into poker to start with? Um, I think I got into poker kind of the same as a lot of my generation, like the Moneymaker boom. So when Chris Moneymaker won the World Series uh, main event against Sammy Farha, um, you know, everyone really started playing and we started playing in, you know, high school with pennies as chips. And then in college, we actually had chips. And like early on in my career, I guess you could say, um, I really did see that there were clearly winners and losers and people were making like big mistakes, myself included. And uh, I was drawn to it because it's like one of the only jobs where you get to promote and demote yourself depending on how hard you work and how successful you are. And uh, I was really attracted to that and played a bunch of poker in my time at CU Boulder um, as an architectural engineering student and dropped out a semester shy. And it was actually my math professor that gave me the courage to drop out. He's like, wait, so you love this. You're good at it. You're making good money at it. He's like, why are you still here? He's like, you can always go and fail and come back. And that was the person that actually gave me the courage to drop out of school. You know what? I mean, I had a guy in my life who did the same kind of thing to me. And it it's amazing how such a small thing can really propel your life in a, in a different direction. Yeah. Um, I, I was working a job. I was dealing blackjack and playing blackjack and thinking about quitting the job, but I had a mortgage and all of that. And one of the bosses at the casino was like, are you out of your mind? Like, quit. <laughs> you can always get another job if you go broke, you know? Yeah. Um, and I so I did. Yeah, it's... Uh, Little little things, people, you know, that can change your life in big ways. Yeah, I feel like when you already know what the right decision is, and sometimes you just need that gentle push or, like, the reassurance that it's the right decision. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, a lot of parents would have been, you're one semester from graduating? And... Mine included. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how did they... It, it... Um, well, my parents have been divorced, you know, for 30 years or more. Um, and my dad was always, like, considerably more of, like, go for it. Like, 
type of thing. And my mom was like, you can finish, like you should finish. Um, and so they definitely had a little bit of different perspectives on it. And then when I won my first bracelet in 2010, I think I called my mom to tell her and she's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. And she was like, I woke her up. She was on the East coast and she's like, wait, I can't believe it. This is what you've been doing for so long. <laughs> and so it was kind of a, like aha moment for her. It was like, oh, he can actually be successful at this. All right. You are much better than average at reading poker tells. How did you get good at it? And what kind of person can become good at it? And for those people, how should they go about getting better at it? Um, so I think that pattern recognition is one of the most important qualities. And I was actually thinking about this recently of like even playing like Where's Waldo or like uh, the the hidden items in the pictures when you have to like compare the two and just seeing like what's different. You know, it started even back then, but like as far as actual like knowledge and things that I've researched, I've watched the Joe Navarro series. Um, he talks about live tells. Um, I've read the Mike Carroll book who, you know, obviously focuses on live tells and, um, and so much trial and error. Like early in my poker career, I was kind of looking for an excuse to go all in or make a big call. Um, and most of the time I was wrong, but you know, my, hindsight was pretty good and i was like oh i see why that he was strong when he did that or i see why i could have got him to fold if i did this and so like so much trial and error and then now it's just you know considerably more detailed and uh, well memory must have a lot to do with it too i mean it it's hard to stay focused all the time and then you know keep all those mental notes and remember all of them yeah absolutely and one of the like the things that I'm the best at in poker, the reason I'm one of the best at live tells is because of my focus. Like, say I fold, you know, under the gun, and then 98% of poker players just go and look on their phone and play on their phone until it's on them in the big blind. But I'll fold, and then I'll pay attention to the table, and you never know if, like, okay, the button raises, the big blind defends, and check folds. Like, maybe he checks differently when he check check raises. And so it's, like, the memory aspect of what you, like, said, where it's, like, okay, C4, um check the flop this way when he check folded and like that in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean everything mean anything at all like he might check fold the same way every time but at least it gives you a baseline to begin to say oh well now he check raised and it actually looked way different so there is a tell there so like so much of the effort is just mental focus um and for me i actually keep track on my phone because it is hard to retain all of that while you're playing you go on dinner break you might come back and forget and uh you know, just the ability to focus um, for long periods of time and really stay in tune with what everyone's doing physically. So you're allowed to make notes on your phone between hands? Between when, hands, yeah. If, wow. you do, if you don't have cards in front of you, you can use your phone. I didn't think that was the rule at all. All right. Is that rule everywhere? Well, maybe not when you're playing cash games. Cash um, games, you can typically just like be on your phone whenever. They don't care so much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Might depend on... Bad players can do what they want, and good players are police more. I definitely think that's true. So, last year in the World Series of Poker, you had an incident where presumably designed to get a tell. I got some publicity. As I recalled the incident, I saw it on YouTube, I suppose. Uh, you were in the middle of a hand, one other player... You had a very good hand, but definitely not the nuts. You took a big, two big stacks of chips and hunched your shoulders forward as though you're going to move them in and move them to the side about two inches. 
on the air, Norman Chad's remark was to the effect of, perfectly legal, but I don't like it. So presumably that was done to gain a tell, if you could. Um, anybody who's played poker very much has seen much, much more blatant things. Um, did all the shit you took from that, did that bother you at all? Is that did, Would you have done it again if you knew you were on live TV or on... Yes, oh, that's absolutely. a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did do it to get information, and I do know that it's perfectly within the rules. Like, I didn't move my chips forward at all. It was, like, you know, to the side and back, like you mentioned. Um, and people have been doing this for, like, years, whether it's a professional like myself who happens to be good at live tells or just a recreational player who's at a spot on the river where they don't know what to do. So, like, you know, people grabbing their chips and looking at their opponent is, one, it's something you can't please, so there'll never be a rule to change it. Two, it's completely within the rules. And, in fact, like, my opponents, if they know I'm doing it to gain information, technically they could do the opposite and trick me into making the wrong decision, right? So it's, you know, it is something I do to gain an edge. And, like, it was a situation where I was pretty sure my opponent had ace-king or ace-queen on 7-6-2-7, and I had jacks. And, you know... If I just call there, which is what like a you know the poker solvers would tell you to do, um, my opponent still has six outs, um, so twelve percent chance of winning the pot on the river, and so it was a situation where if my live tell was good enough, I actually would have gone all in to deny him that twelve percent equity. Um, however, it wasn't, and I ended up just calling and choosing like the solver direction, um, and that's kind of like one of the the things about live tells is like. It's rare that you get, like, the Oreo cookie rounders tell that, that everyone, like, thinks about, right? Um, it's more often that you get a little bit of information. You're like, okay, I think he's at the bottom of his range or the top of his range. And so it's not always just, like, cut and dry. Like, it is nice when you get a tell that's that good. Um, but in general, like, tells should be used to help with your decisions, not be the decision itself. Phil Galfund is a pretty good poker player. <laughs> Specific. Very good at Pot Limit Omaha. You and Phil had a famous match. So tell us about that. Um, so Phil Galfon challenged the poker world and like laid odds to play people heads up for, you know, we played for our goal was 35,000 hands. And, uh, you know, I've devoted my life to it for months and studying and then, you know, playing. And, he started up, uh, you know, two or three hundred grand, um, and then I was went on a nice heater. I was up about three hundred, and uh, I had our first child. Uh, we have a daughter named Ryan, and when I came back um, a couple weeks later, he had just figured me out, and uh, you know, my bluffs weren't working, my value bets weren't getting called, and it just like everything had changed. And uh, you know, it's, I, it's a baby's fault. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. Um, but in general, like the match was uh, incredibly fun. I learned a lot, um, met some cool people in my like studying along the way, and uh, you know, had one of my best years in poker ever after that. So uh, fortunately, it's even though I lost the challenge, it might have ended up being a net positive for me. Huh? Is is he a friend? Were you able to discuss it with him much after? Or um, we are friendly, um, but you know, we don't really like have meals or anything like that together. Mm. Um, however, he does owe me a meal. We said the winner was going to buy the other one a meal, so I'd love to you know catch that ticket in and chat with him a little bit, just because um, we see poker very similarly in a lot of ways, but very differently in a lot of others. And uh, whenever you have a chance to you know pick the brain of someone who's just fantastic in general and seeing 
the ways in the the ways in which they think about the game that you don't it can always be super beneficial oh yeah i think um learning anything uh my strategy was always surround myself with people who were better than me because those are the people you're going to learn stuff from. I so, think that's yeah. a lot of the limiting factors of poker players is like they become the best one of their friends. And then how are they going to improve if they ask their friends a hand? They're like, oh, you have to call there. Well, it's like, well, you don't necessarily have to call. There, you know? <laughs> it's like you have these other options. But like when you do surpass the people that you surround yourself with, um, it makes it harder to grow. Yeah, 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 for sure. Are you likely to undergo a similar challenge with Phil or somebody else in the same game or a different game in the future? Nope, never again. Um, not because, like, so I got five to one on this, or four to one on the side, my 250K to his million for the, wow. side, the side bet of what the result was. And uh, overall, like, I think that getting those odds, um, I think he's a favorite heads up versus me. Um, but I think getting those odds, it was still like a plus EV like you know venture for me um however if i would have spent those four or five months into just like you know studying and playing in softer games against fish or worse opponents like my ev would just uh, expected value would just be so much higher than had i you know going in this challenge against the other heroes in the poker world and so i i definitely i don't necessarily regret that i did it um but i definitely would not do it again yeah um I- so do you play a lot of cash games as well, or are you strictly tournament? Um, I used to play, like, a ton of cash games. Like, when it was online, I would, like, eight-table or six-table PLO, um, and then I'd play, like, the two big tournaments of the day that would kind of set my hours as long as I'm in those tournaments. And uh, But now in the last few years, uh, even since the Galphon Challenge, I'm not sure I've played a hand of cash. Um, yeah, my focus is just more on, like, building my company and, uh, you know, being a dad. But in addition to chip leader coaching, you're on top of a number of companies. Um, I think at least that's what I thought I saw on your website. There's one was the AI. Oh, our other products. Maybe that's what that yeah, is. Yeah, so our other products. So the AI is the platform I already talked about. And then our flagship product is actually a $2,000 pay once course that I also did with Alex Foxen called The Closer. And it's a 10-week course that basically at every different stage, whether you're early on or on the bubble or at the final table, we give like a, a really thorough breakdown of like how this stage of the tournament changes your direction and what you're supposed to do. And, uh, you know, that's one of the products that we're uh, most proud of. Um, we also have one called Optimize Your Mind that uh, I think that one of the things that's neglected in poker, and it's actually catching on more now, is... You know, it's one thing to know the right thing to do. It's another thing to actually do it. And so, like, a lot of poker players could pass a poker test, if you will. um, But when they get on the table, they make a mistake. And so, like, that's kind of where Optimize Your Mind was was built. And then the other one is called Bracelet Hunter, which is uh, a complete review of the 3200 online WSOP bracelet event that I won. Um, And I, like, go through every single hand that I played and what I was thinking. And we interviewed, you know, cool people, like, Sergio Garcia and, you know, John Deeb, Alex Fox, and Ben Lamb. Just like, you know, a lot of people that are um, big in the poker world as well as, you know, Sergio's a friend of mine. Were you able to get the video footage of it all, or how how did you do that? Um, so it's an online tournament. Oh, oh. Yeah, that was the, the online bracelet event, one of the first ones. And uh, 
they were able to send me the hands and I imported it into my uh, my poker tracker and was able to go through them and review them. I mean, you know, in chess and backgammon and things like that, like the way uh, play or bridge, the way people get good is by annotated matches, right? Where exactly what you're talking about, you can go through the game step by step, have grandmasters or whatever giving you notes so this seems like a really good way to approach learning yeah i mean it's really important and even you know for the ai program we actually went into our poker database and our own personal hands that we played we imported over three thousand of them into the database and then wrote explanations for each one and just going through your own database and if you do play online you have to have like a tracking software you need to figure out it's like you can even sort it by position and say like oh, wow, I'm losing way more in the big blind than I should be, or, like, holy crap, like, I'm making more money from the cutoff than the button. Like, that should never be the case. Like, I have to figure out what I'm either doing really well in the cutoff or why I suck on the button. And so, like, you need to figure out, like, why these things exist in your game. And uh, if you're not tracking uh, online, like, it's definitely the best tool to allow you to do so. How do you do that if you aren't in a place where you can play online? Um, I would recommend for people like that just to save hands that they had questions in um, and it might even be like I raise the big blind calls it comes a seven four like what should my uh, continuation bet size be on this texture um, and like learning about just like your sizing mistakes um, could be a big thing um, in fact I think sizing mistakes is one of the the most common errors that you'll, you'll see and uh, you know definitely writing down the board textures that you have questions about and uh, seeing how like the ace deuce deuce board you can have a much smaller c-bet than the queen seven six and like knowing why is really important knowing that on queen seven six your opponents have so many auto continues like even eight ten has like a gut shot um but on ace deuce deuce like hands like eight ten just are auto folds so you choose a smaller sizing and so like you know that's the the extrapolated simplified version um but that definitely is one of the keys now you seem to be a specialist in No Limit Hold'em and Pot Limit Omaha. Mm-hmm. Do you play other games as well, or is it if it's not those, you're not interested? Um, no, I play some other games as well. There's some that are very appealing to me. Most of them that I enjoy the most are of the No Limit variety. Like I really love Short Deck and uh, Deuce to Seven Single Draw. Uh, in fact, my bracelet that I won last year was in the $10,000 short deck event. Um, however, I wouldn't consider myself good at the game. Um, it was a good live tell one for me, um, just because there's situations where, like, everyone puts in a bunch of money, and then there's, you know, 12 annies out there. And so, like, if you know the first guy's weak and then the other players would have isolated with a good hand, you know everyone's weak. And so, like, adding in those little, you know, pieces of knowledge from your live tells to, to make aggressive actions and pick up the pot really helps and uh, i've played three short deck tournaments i've gotten fourth third and first i think (laughs) but like they are smaller fields but i don't i i'm sure i'd get destroyed in a short deck cash game but i uh have been very fortunate in those those games and had a lot of fun doing it so i was actually not familiar with a short deck this means they take out the twos through the fives what is a short deck yep that's exactly what they do um, so they take out those cards. So like ace, six, seven, eight, uh, nine is a straight. 
um, just like Ace Deuce three, four, five would have been a straight. Um, equities run much closer. Like Jack ten and Ace King is basically a coin flip. Um, so it's has a lot of similar aspects to Potlum and Omaha, where the equities are like closer, and it's like you know Aces against Ace King, you have the guy dead to seven percent. But like in short deck, I think Aces against Ace King. I think Ace King has like twenty percent. And so when the equities run closer, the fish enjoy it more. There's a lot more variance and definitely creates for an interesting format. Why do you think there are more tells in the short deck versions? So it's because of the the blind and ante structure. So in a no limit tournament, that's a small blind, a big blind, and then everyone acts. Uh, in a short deck tournament, everyone puts in um, one ante, and then the button puts in two antes. And so you immediately get a really good price, and so people complete um, and put in one more ante like quite liberally. And if you can figure out... And that's they, appropriate to do. And you're supposed to, yeah. Um, but all of a sudden you are running into the bottom of people's range more often. And so you're able to decode when they're weaker a lot easier because people are actually weaker. If you're playing like a nine handed tournament and someone raises from early position, um, in a no limit, like a normal no limit hold'em tournament, um, like they have a strong range and it's really hard to do anything unless you have a reasonable hand. Um, but in short deck, there's just so many spots where people are putting in money with weak hands and you can attack it really well. But that doesn't tell you about tells. That's well, he's saying he's picking up the fact that they'd be raising to isolate themselves with one other player if they had a stronger hand. Yeah, like so, so say we're at a six-handed table and the first guy um, completes, and then you know that the next guy would like isolate him with a good strong hand, and then you know that the other guys would also isolate with a strong hand, and then it's back to you on the button, and there's these four people that completed. So like if I have a live tell that the first limper was weak. Then I know that the other four, like three, are probably weak too, um, and so like that's a situation. Because you figure they got that tail too. No, just because they would have raised him with a good hand. So like the first position in short deck has a lot of traps when they like complete because you have to balance that range. Um, but if I know that that guy isn't trapping, the other three are automatically not trapping, and so now you just get to pick up the nine annies that are out there. All right. I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> Makes sense to me. I, well, good. <laughs> um, so I assume nothing or less is written about the shorthanded game. And so a lot of this good players have to figure out on their own. Is that fair? Um, yeah, definitely. And like one of the things that I did to learn was even just watching the uh, the Triton streams where they had like, you know, 25, 50, 100K uh, short deck events. And the same way I actually learned to play No Limit Hold'em is watching the equities on ESPN when it first got big um, back in 03, 04. Um, and just seeing that like Ace King and Sixes is a coin flip and just like learning those things and seeing those numbers in short deck allowed me to apply the No Limit Hold'em and Pot Limit Omaha skill set that I had to the game. I, you know, I have to say, um, Bob and I come from backgrounds where edges are really small. Yeah. And to call, you know, ace king versus a pair of sixes a coin flip, you know, is <laughs> sort of uh, hilarious for us because yeah. uh, we would love to have that edge of a pair of sixes over an ace king. I'll bet. If you're, have you already picked out the next game you're going to? specialize in um no but i have picked the next course that i'm going to make for my company 
I'm going to do a live tells product. It's just going to be an intro to live tells, uh, like what to look for is what I'm going to call it. And then I'm going to do a series of like how to interpret and stuff that goes from there. Um, I think that like there is a lot of good information out there for live tells, but it was kind of before the technology <laughs> technology really took over. Um, I think doing like a really good video version would demonstrate a lot of the stuff that, for example, Mike Caro says in his book that really is fantastic information. Um, but it's going to be, you know, I, I read some of those things and then I'd have to see it many times to actually understand it as opposed to if I made a video of it for people, I think that they would be able to grasp those concepts considerably faster. Try to think. Somebody made a video. Uh, uh, maybe it was Joe Navarro. Maybe. I don't know. I've, I've, yeah, I saw a video somewhere. The only thing I remember wh- from it was a guy covering his mouth and uh, I think it was Joe Navarro. And I think be. he was saying like... You know, often, uh, you know, they're trying to hide something when they put their hand over their mouth. Now, obviously, with top players, they uh, know that and, you know. Yeah, I mean, um, without getting too much into it, like one of the keys for live tells is like uh, knowing if the person is doing it intentionally. um, Or I like to use the terms consciously and unconsciously. So if it's something that they're conscious of, then it might be intentionally to throw you off. However, if it's something that the player is unconscious of, then it's typically means what it's supposed to mean. Makes sense. Yeah. We had a man on our show a couple years ago who would hire himself out at the um, the final tables on the November nine when they had uh, they had a couple months to prepare. Yeah. The and so he would f- be watching in a hotel room with a with a 30 minute delay or something and was there to help his client know what happened um is now presumably if in the next final table you were not one of those nine is uh, you would have the skills to do something like that. Is that something that is interesting to you? Uh, Quite, yeah, very much, actually. In fact, uh, I've been approached. I helped coach uh, Cliff Giuseppe, who got third in the main event. Um, I've coached, you know, helped other people with the main event, uh, breaking down live tells for Ben Lamb, who is one of my first poker poker friends. He's gotten 15th, 3rd, and 9th at the WSOP main event, which in and of itself is pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, and currently, actually, chip leader coaching. So there's a delayed final table right now, um, a five-week delay of the $3,500 tournament that just happened down in Florida. And it got 2,000 people. There's six people left. And uh, of the six remaining contestants that are playing for 200,000 uh, $200, locked up and then a million for first, um, two of the six people at the final table reached out to my company and uh, asked us to coach them. And uh, I am coaching one of the players. And I was going to say, is and, that wouldn't that be a conflict to coach two of them? Or? And Alex Foxen is actually coaching the other. Ah. And so I spoke with uh, my client, I guess is the right term, um, pr- previously. And I was like, well, this guy's reaching out for coaching. He's going to get coaching no matter what. Um, I was like, if you think, like, I think it might be better if we actually know what the person's going to be telling them, um, as opposed to not knowing who, which coach he's going to hire. And so we agreed. Uh, so Alex is actually coaching the other one. Hmm. But you, you and Alex are partners. Mm -hmm. Presumably you're not talking about this particular event. 
So we uh, definitely have not. However, one of the opponents is Darren Elias, who's you know a superstar in poker, um, and he's actually the chip leader. And I do believe that our analysis for Darren Elias will probably work together and then share it to our guys individually. Um, and also you had mentioned like watching from a hotel room. So what we do with the 30-minute delay for the streams is we like I'll still be there at the Luxor Esports Arena um, on May 25th when it happens. Um, but I'll be on an iPad watching and then also... Um, you know, taking breaks with uh, my client and stuff like that. And so I think the plan is for Fox and I to still sit next to each other and figure out tells on the other four and share them with each other, but not share tells on our own players. And that way we have as much information as possible to give to our clients without hurting them. So you're, you're typing notes back and forth to each other, or how do you communicate? You're obviously not talking out loud where other people can hear you. Um, I bet there'll be some whispering at the, at the table. We're just probably at the, in the seating area or whatever it's going to be. Um, we're definitely going to discuss certain, like, I, I'm not going to adjust like adjustments because a lot of the EV at a final table comes from like opening light in the right spots. And so like, I wouldn't want Alex to be able to tell his guy where my guy's going to be opening light. And so, but like, if it is just a tell on an opponent, like, I think that type of stuff we would share, um, but, you know, we wouldn't share anything that would hurt the other guy. How much of your work on this would be watching TV performances of the other four, to how they've done in the past, to um, as a clue as to how they're going to do in this one? Is that part of your homework? Um, normally, it would be quite a bit. Um, however, I've played, Alex and I have both played with Darren Elias so much that we don't really need to go back and like watch anything like we have a very very good idea of how he's going to But he's your client. He's not he's not the no, one. No, no, he's one of the he's the enemy in this one. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't say the name of the clients for obvious reasons. Um, but there's only six and it's not Darren. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think everyone will know that Darren is his own monster. He doesn't need to hire anyone. Um, sorry, what was the question? <laughs> so are you looking at at old videos of the other non of the non Darren players. So at this particular final table, it's uh, very, you know, from Darren's perspective, looks like a very recreational final table. Um, so there actually isn't video on the vast majority, only on Darren and one other guy. Um, so at this particular one, there's not much. But when I did the WSOP main event coverage, uh, I'm sorry, the coaching for that final table, like there was a ton, and like there was even a hand the hand where cliff busted to gordon veo set over set on king three deuce where gordon had pocket threes and cliff had pocket deuces um cliff bet the turn and gordon's tell was like when he was nutted he like always leaned forward just a little bit more and i figured that out by like watching tape and uh he leaned forward and like even before he raised all in on a turn i was like oh my god he has a set and then he shoves and cliff tanks forever and ends up calling with bottom set and i'm like ah. Eh can't blame him for calling with that one <laughs> the board was just yeah. and there was no time to you can't communicate that at the time oh yeah not mid-hand yeah but just from the rail i was like uh-oh he, he's got it we're in trouble please fold <laughs> very good all right so we're talking with chance Cornith. we're going to take a brief commercial break and we'll be back okay round two name something that's not boring Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -chum. 
That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. The South Point has more than 10,000 games returning at least 99%. This is more such games than anyone else has. The May promotion is half price gas and goods. For every $8,334 coin in, you earn and, and redeem in May, normally worth $25 in cash-free play or spending at various hotel and casino outlets, you get a $50 Walmart or Chevron gift card. You may earn up to 10 of these in May in any combination. Note that you do not keep these points when you redeem them for gift cards. Still, assuming you value the gift cards the same as cash, it's effectively a 0.6% slot club for the first $83,000 you play in May. On Monday, May 30th, 8 a.m. to midnight, there's a $32,000 hot seat promotion where every three minutes one lucky player receives $100 in free play. If you haven't finished earning your 10 gift cards, playing on this day is a form of double dipping. Hey guys, this is Colin from blackjackapprenticeship.com and if you're serious about card counting, I'd encourage you to check out the Blackjack Apprenticeship membership. It has the training tools you'll need to beat the game like our comprehensive video course and our training suite so you can learn each skill and virtually test yourself before ever stepping foot in a casino. It also includes the tools you'll need to succeed like our pro betting software, casino database, results tracking software, and access to a community of like-minded advantage players to network with in our members forum and chat room software. You can find out more at blackjackapprenticeship.com. Videopoker.com is the best place to play lots of games. If you sign up for the gold membership, $8.95 a month or $79.95 a year, this allows you to get correction on most of the games. The game of the week is Split Card Poker. This is a 10 coins per hand game where periodically, on the deal or on the draw, never both, you receive a split card. A split card may be any card. Once the split card is chosen, the additional card may be, with equal probability, the same card, the card one rank lower, or the card one rank higher. For example, if the Ace of Clubs happens to be the split card, it is equally likely to become the Ace King of Clubs, the Ace Deuce of Clubs, or two Aces of Clubs. The only pay schedule Addition is five of a kind on non-wild card games and five deuces on deuces wild game. You'll need to work out your own strategy as there's I haven't found anything written on this game, but it is an interesting game to play. All right. We, we are back talking with Chance Corneth. Uh, yeah, so I wanted to ask, advice for players who are trying to step up their game from recreational to win winning players or or kind of beginning winning players who are at the low levels that are trying to move up 
Um, well, the biggest focus should be on like studying, whether it's with Chip Leader Coaching or one of our competitors. They all have a lot of great material. Um, but as far as like just pure pieces of advice, um, make sure that you're deploying like balanced ranges and like the it's easier to think of things in extremes to understand them. So like picture a player who limps his bad hands and raises his good hands. Well, it's very easy to decode when he has a weak hand preflop. Um, you know, it's not always that obvious. Sometimes they raise 2x, sometimes they raise 4x. Um, sometimes they continuation bet a small size versus big size. And so like if you're not using the same sizings with your good hands and your bad hands, it's going to become incredibly easy for a professional to decode when you're weak and strong. And so, you know, that's what we call having a balanced range. So, you know, c-betting the same size with your good hands and bad hands or, you know, I have different sizes on, on the same board sometimes, but each range has good hands and bad hands in it. And it just makes it considerably harder to decode. Also, like paying attention to your opponents and seeing which ones have those weaknesses. Um, oftentimes, like it used to be really, really easy to figure out when people were weak and strong. Um, now it's a little bit harder, but the information is still there if you pay attention. So that's still there even if you're playing online. That's not something... Um... I mean, it's based on just the size of their bets, and yeah. I, I would think the, the amount of time they spend before making the bet, is that something you pay a lot of attention to? Um, I think timing is really important online and live. Um, you know, timing is one of the only tells that exists on both formats. Um, so it's definitely, like, a good place to look. Uh, yeah, I mean, timing is one of the biggest tells in poker, for sure. You know, we were also talking about... Um, you know, reading people, and Daniel Negreanu, uh has kind of a reputation for being very good at that as well. And I'm wondering, you're—I assume you have experience playing with him, and how you found that. And... Um, I played with Daniel a ton actually, and uh, we actually played a hand at Bellagio that I'll probably never forget, where uh, I actually overbet the river, and uh, for forty-six thousand, the dealer said thirty-six thousand. And I knew that Daniel would perceive, and I had a good hand. I wanted him to call. And I go, no, 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 it's 46,000. And he looked at me, and like he's like, I call. And I'm like, ah, I gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, you know, Daniel's actually one of the testimonials on uh, my site. Um, I played with him a lot. And, uh, you know, he's fantastic at reading people. But, you know, I think he's even better at, you know, being a good ambassador to our game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. He's been on our show a couple of times, so. Other than bet sizing, what are other common tells that players should work to eliminate their game? Um, you already mentioned the timing. Um, definitely super relevant. And uh, I would just say, like, try to do everything as methodically as possible, like whether it's your check, whether it's how you grab your chips, whether it's how far you throw your chips, where you look when the flop turner river come out. Um, the way people look at their cards is a big one. Um, and like one of the things you'll notice is like if someone has a really good or a really bad hand, they just like look at it really quickly. They immediately know I have a raise or I have a fold. Uh, and then when they have a medium, um, they actually look at their hand a little bit longer and it's because they're actually thinking of like, oh, can I play this here? And so you can actually figure out like if someone immediately, like, and this doesn't exist for like the higher level pros I noticed, um, but a lot of the recreational players, it's very, very clear when they have a medium. Because when they have aces, they just want to cover them right back up. They set them back down like it's... Now, there are players who Hollywood, who they know exactly what they're going to do, but they take 45 seconds to announce it to the world whether they're going to do it. Now, does this um, 
How much of this is a useful tale for somebody like you? Um, I think it's incredibly useful, like knowing it's like, okay, this person's aware that we're looking at him before he goes all in. He's going to try to look weak before he does it. So like you mentioned, it's it's kind of the acting portion or as the term I mentioned earlier, like it's a tells from the conscious. And so since he's conscious of, he or she is conscious of what they're doing and the, what they're perceiving, um, you oftentimes will have to assume the opposite is true. I it, Sometimes I think they just want more time on camera. And that you could know? be as well. Um so yeah, that may or not may not have anything to do with the or, hand, or it could just be trying to balance their timing tells. You know, it's like so it is because if you're bluffing all in on the river, you might need to think about it for a little while. And if you have a hand that immediately wants to value bet the river, you're like, well, you don't just want to immediately go all in when you're certain, and then have the timing tell when you're not. Um, so there's a big controversy going around right now. There always seems to be a big controversy about something. But the, the current one is about this um, cheating claim for, um, for a player who they said was looking at the cards of another player, which which I didn't think was against the rules. But uh, It's technically the player's... Uh responsibility to protect their own cards um however like in a you know three hundred thousand dollar buy-in when you play with this guy like all the time um and he's one of the recreational people um i think that it's implied that you don't do that um and to be honest like that wasn't the reason the scandal happened like if only that happened i don't think anyone would have said anything like that was just the straw that broke the camel's back for a player who's idolized in poker um who has been cheating online for years and like everyone knows this as like a fact and like the fact that the poker sites aren't um legally allowed to tell everyone else all the other venues that this player is a cheat um you know that was just the straw that broke the camel's back and like you've seen since then like all the stories of like people are talking about this a lot more and like it really is important and like we as a poker community need to come together to try to make a positive change in this aspect of our game you're one of the people advocating a poker blacklist, yes. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and... I think that it's really important. And, like, say someone cheats at the World Series, um, should they be able, able to go across the street to the Bellagio and play? Or if someone cheats online, should they be able to try to win a WSOP bracelet? Like, I don't think so. Um, and I do think that it would need a committee um, in order to determine which acts you know, would have what punishment, like how long they'd be blacklisted for, some people for life, I would assume. Um, but in general, I think that, uh, you know, I'm happy that the discussion is out there now um, because it's bringing light on the fact that, like, hey, like, we need to do something as a, as a poker community. Like, we need to protect ourselves and, like, we need to have a larger punishment for people who are transgressors of these actions. Because, like, say you're playing a bunch of, like, different accounts and, like, you have RTA on your computer which is real-time assistance. Um, yeah, so it basically tells you what to do um, to you know, simplify it. And uh, event, like over a large enough sample, you're just going to win. And so if the poker sites are only taking your money when you get caught, it's basically just a free roll because you're not going to lose. And so if the only downside is maybe getting your money taken, well, that's not enough. Like the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Like we need these people to like, if they're cheating us, like we need to know it. Like I don't want to be friendly with a guy who is cheating me online and then he's just because he's a nice guy in person like it's like as a community we need to come together to make change in this area yeah it's always baffled me um you know this has been kind of the dirty little secret of poker forever and it's always baffled me why they don't want to out people and uh, this is probably 
maybe before you were born, but um, Mike Caro did uh, a series of interviews with three guys who basically were exposing cheating at the highest levels of poker. And it was six hours. They're on YouTube, I think, if you find them. And, I mean, he had his life threatened. They uh, were going to pull all the advert. He was... uh, he had a magazine, a poker magazine at the time, and people pulled advertising. I mean, there were huge, huge repercussions just to even be discussing this. And um, I think that's one of the reasons people don't do it is like, because none of us are perfect, right? Like after Black Friday shut down, like I found accounts to play on from the US that I shouldn't have been able to, you know, like I'm not perfect and like- Well, but to me, that's not cheating. I that's... agree, I agree. And it's not like I was sitting someone heads up who wouldn't play me. I was playing in large fields and like, you know, it was clear that I was a, like a regular, it was clear that I was a pro. Like I wouldn't just sit someone heads up and that I knew wouldn't play me or anything like that. Like I wasn't trying to be malicious about it. I just wanted to play poker. Um, like that was my job. And so like, I think like, even the threat of of that like coming out um publicly is is difficult for a lot of people and like you know a lot of people have done a lot worse stuff whether it's playing on their spouse's account Mark or cards, uh, Mark, cards i mean yeah, yeah and so like I, that's the fear is like none of us are perfect right and so like if every time someone wants to go public with some information that they probably should go public with you have to worry about the backlash of what's going to happen to you personally and uh that is difficult, and that's one of the biggest deterrents of us all coming together as a community. See, this happens in the blackjack world, too, and, um, you know, I've always been on the side of this should be public, people should know about it so that they don't scam anybody else, and then, but I have a lot of friends who are like, no, I don't want to, you know, uh, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Like, it's if a, someone does steroids in the Major League Baseball, like, I assume the other baseball leagues know about it. Like, if someone counts cards in blackjack, like, the other casinos know about it. And so it's like, they want to call poker a sport, but you're going to sit here and we're not going to, like, do the stuff that other sports do to protect our leagues. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. If there were such a committee to judge whether or not somebody has broken the rules and deserves to be blacklisted would you consider being on the being one of those judges that Uh, seems like a thankless job yeah god from a pure time suck perspective it sounds absolutely terrible um but you know if i think there are better people in the space to do it like the people like jason coon and phil galfon for example are you know two of the, the white knights in poker and uh you know if they wanted me to be on that committee i would do it even though it's thankless because it's something that we need and, uh, you know, I would try to find someone to replace me just because running a company and playing poker and being a dad and a husband is, you know, a lot on my plate the way it is. But uh, if no one else is willing to do it, I would definitely sit on the committee and try to help. Very good. So we've been talking to Chance Cornith, and it's been fun. Uh, good luck with the charity event and continued fortune with your poker game oh wait and the world series is coming up right uh how many events are you going to play um well i actually just started looking at the schedule last week i noticed the first event is the hundred thousand dollar uh bounty tournament which i haven't seen a bounty that big it sounds pretty cool so i'm thinking about starting with that one um and to be honest i'll probably play almost every single day so i will mark my schedule off for like specific tournaments that I want to make sure I'm not busy for so I don't get stuck in like a day two or something previously um, but I'll be I'll be playing quite a bit 
Very good. We've been talking to Chance Corneth. Uh, thank you very much for being here. At the end of our show, we have a recommended section. Now, Richard's giving me a look that says he had one, but the dog ate it. I wrote it down, and now I can't access it from my computer here at the studio. <laughs> so I'll have it for next time because it's written down at home. Uh-huh. Well, that's better. That's more believable than the dog ate it anyway. It was a good one, too, because it was something obscure. That's, But I can't remember it. It was something... I got an extra. I'll share it. Oh, okay. Yeah, good. Yeah. good. All <laughs> right. Good. Covering up. So um, before we get to Chance, I'm going to tell you mine. It's a novel called Heads You Win by Jeffrey Archer. Uh, beginning in 1968, Leningrad... Alexander Karpenko is clearly a teenage prodigy. His father is killed by the KGB, and Alex and his mother must flee the country by picking one of two container ships leaving the docks. One of the ships is going to America, the other to Great Britain. Alex and his mother must choose. They let the choice be determined by a coin flip. From there... The book splits into parallel universes. One chapter with Alex and his mother in New York. The other chapter with Sasha, which is Alex's childhood name, and his mother in England. Their lives lived in parallel universes have similarities, but they're different. It's an interesting premise, and you'll have to read the book to find out what happens. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's the purpose of these. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking uh, around, hoping you have the book on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, so you said you have two because you're covering up for Rich. Yeah. So I, uh, you know, love a good deal. Um, I've seen a ton of shows in Vegas. And uh, my wife and I actually went and saw one recently that we could not believe how good it was. Um, actually, they're both at the Rio. The Penn and Teller show um, and the comedy seller there were actually both absolutely fantastic and uh we maybe just because we had low expectations going in because it's at the real um (laughs) (laughs) but the price per ticket like it was just both of them were fantastic from start to finish um and then the other one is a a restaurant that we love in chinatown called zhao long dumplings x a i o l o n g dumplings and it's just absolutely incredible authentic uh chinese cuisine huh I will definitely try that. I've been to Penn and Teller several times, so I couldn't um, believe how good it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, and um, you know they film uh, Fool, us. Fool Us, and yep. you know you can go a- and watch in the audience, and um, uh, I've done that too because uh, I haven't yeah. done that one yet. Yeah, that's very good. All right, thank you, Chance. Thank you, Richard. Go out and hit lots of royal flushes, everybody. <laughs> good day. What's up, y'all? I'm David. And I'm Justice. And the Don't Trip Podcast is now a part of Blue Wire Network. Considering getting back with an ex, want to know if a pickup line works, or maybe you're just stuck in a friend zone. Don't Trip is advice at no price, and we're always going to keep it real. We engage directly with our listeners with funny segments such as Simping or Pimping, where we rate pickup lines, high questions to answer the unanswerable, or live listener callings. Listen to Don't Trip on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And catch the video versions on YouTube every week. Don't Trip, we got you.